Is the He Gets Us campaign a heretical waste of money? Is the Asbury revival for real? Let's find out. What's up guys, my name is Ben Pierce and this is Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction where I look at some of the biggest headlines in our world today and ask the question, what would Jesus think and what would Jesus do? If you enjoy this content, consider liking it or commenting below if you're on YouTube. Otherwise, if you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can leave us a rating and or a review. And of course, you can always share this on social media as well. For longer form conversations featuring the full crew, you can check out the Provoke and Inspire podcast by clicking the link in description. So for those who watch the Super Bowl, or who are just online in general, you're probably aware of the He Gets Us ad campaign. These are 30 to 60 second ads that have been running for the past year, primarily during sporting events, but they've also been featured on billboards and other media outlets. This campaign has been funded by the nonprofit Servant Foundation, and major donors also include the Hobby Lobby family. These short and compelling videos connect Jesus to contemporary issues like immigration, artificial intelligence, and activism. Each ad ends with an invitation for the viewers to check out the He Gets Us website for more information. They write on their website, how can we rediscover the life and teachings of Jesus, the world's most radical love activist? This is our agenda at He Gets Us, to move beyond the mess of our current culture to a place where all of us are invited to rediscover the love story of Jesus. Christians, non-Christians, and everybody in between, all of us. In a different part of the website, they write, we look at the biography of Jesus through a modern lens to find new relevance in often overlooked moments and themes from his life. Now, this campaign certainly has put its money where its mouth is, spending tens of millions of dollars to promote this message. In fact, they ran two ads during the Super Bowl. This is the most expensive airtime of the year. Needless to say, they have gotten a lot of attention because of it. Not surprisingly, there's been criticism. There's been criticism from the left. There's been criticism from the right, from Christians, from non-Christians. But I want to do is look at four major criticisms of the campaign, react to them quickly, and then end with some conclusions of my own in terms of how we should view this and what we should do. The first source of criticism comes from a very unsurprising place, and that's from the secular left. Of course, on the surface, the ads are not too provocative for the left, but they quickly point out all of the things that the foundation behind the ads supports and are quick to dismiss the whole thing saying, hey, if you look just underneath the hood, you will not like what these people represent. So ignore the ads and focus on everything else. Quite frankly, I'm not all that surprised by it. I think AOC's tweet perfectly captures the left's opinion on it. She wrote, something tells me Jesus would not spend millions of dollars on Super Bowl ads to make fascism look benign. So clearly she's not buying the simplistic message, seeing the more nefarious intentions behind it and politicizing the whole thing as she does with everything. Now this criticism doesn't really surprise me at all. When you try to bring Jesus into a public space, you're going to have blowback. That should be expected and I'm not surprised. Another common criticism is that it's just a waste of money. Can you really justify spending millions and millions of dollars on these short ads about Jesus when there are all these other needs in the world? Starvation, inequality, poverty, all of the troubles in the world. Is this how a Christian really should be spending their money? Honestly, I don't think this argument holds much weight. I mean, these aren't tax dollars. This is not your money. This is their money. And families like the Green family and the people supporting this are incredibly generous. In fact, Christians dominate almost all philanthropic endeavors throughout the world. And so at the end of the day, this is just worthless judgment. Ask yourself, how are you spending your money? Other critics, what are you doing to alleviate suffering and injustice? And for followers of Jesus criticizing this, if we really believe that what people need more than anything is Jesus, and if this family and others like them, if this foundation are willing to spend this money so that conversations can happen, so that people can be introduced to who Jesus really is, is there any greater cause to invest in? Because from what I can tell, all of heaven through one heck of an 
extravagant party when just one lost sheep was found. So I don't think we need to look at this through a narrow economic lens. Like God has one pot of money to spend and if we spend it here, we don't have money for here. God is in charge of all resources and I don't think we need to be small in our thinking. These ads are getting the name of Jesus in front of millions of people and we should celebrate that. The third source of criticism is coming from the right and from conservatives and Christians, from talking heads online like Ali Beth Stuckey who are annoyed by the ads use of inflammatory terms like refugee and activists who apparently forget that these words can mean a lot of different things. That yes, at the moment they're connected to certain woke ideologies, but you can be an activist for love. And so to me, them using these words, this, this is not politicizing anything. What these ads are doing are using symbols and language that is relevant to our culture today to express a greater truth. Huh, who else did that? Oh yeah, right, that was Jesus. Jesus did the exact same thing. He spoke into the language of the people. He said, I am the good shepherd. He delved into controversial topics like being the good Samaritan, a hated group of people by his audience. Jesus used these symbols and this language and the narratives of his day to communicate powerful truth. So when the He Gets Us campaign calls Jesus a, an activist, no, they're not calling him a left-wing ideological activist. They're calling him a love activist, someone who challenged the status quo and upset the system and caused an entire movement to spread throughout the globe. I mean, that's why we're sitting here today. So I think in the end of the day, we need to calm down and have the intellectual dexterity, the intellectual maturity to recognize when they use these words, they're using them for a specific purpose to point people to an attribute of Jesus that is absolutely true. And that is that he cared about people and he was radical in his love. He was not radical in some human ideology. He was radical in how he treated people, in the systems that he broke down. So guys, let's not miss the forest from the trees here. Let's not get caught up in distractions. Let's recognize the intentions and purpose of what they were doing because I think you'll find that the purpose is genuine and I think the results are going to be amazing. And finally, one of the criticisms I want to focus on is that what they're doing is not the full gospel. It's not just the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. It's not the track that you're given to bring out into the street and read to people verbatim. It's not the four spiritual laws. And yes, it isn't. But it's not intended to be the full gospel. It's intended to be a conversation starter. It's intended to be a presuppositional tool that I can use, that you can use to spark a gospel conversation outside of the church. And so for all those that are getting worked up and missing the point, we have to understand the context. They're not claiming to be quoting scripture directly and using that as an ad. And quite frankly, they're not doing that because that would not reach people. See, what we fail to realize is that so much of our culture has an apathetic or hostile view of God. And if I just come to them and I just begin to quote scripture, or if I just say, do you know that Jesus is the way and that if you don't repent, you're going to go to hell? Walls are going to come up. They're going to say, whoa, 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 that religious stuff. So we need to be like Paul. We need to be like Jesus. We need to care enough about our culture to know the things that they're feeling, their felt needs, their fears, their hopes, their dreams. We need to find common ground. And then we need to use these things to start gospel conversations. You know, Jesus used cryptic parables and scandalous illustrations all the time. He didn't just quote the Old Testament. You know, Paul quoted Athenian philosophers and poets to point people to Christ. Contextualization is part of sharing the gospel. And that's exactly what this campaign is doing. All right, so what should we think? Honestly, I think we just need to calm down a little bit. I think we need to resist the urge to speak before we think. I think we need to resist the urge to judge before we know. I think we need to be hopeful and optimistic and, and look for the positive in this campaign. The truth of the matter is you cannot Google the name he gets us without every news agency throughout the globe talking about Jesus. And that is a good thing. So rather than looking for the things you can criticize or the things you can judge, how about you start a conversation 
conversation with someone in your life who needs to know Jesus? How about you go to your neighbor? How about I go to my neighbor or colleague or the person at the coffee shop and say, did you see that crazy ad about Jesus? What did you think about that? So then you and I, we can take responsibility from that point to point people to the full and true gospel. We can take this tool that they have offered up to us and use it to have gospel conversations with the people in our lives who don't yet know Jesus. So rather than looking to criticize, look at this as an opportunity because that's exactly what it is. All right, so moving on to the Asbury University revival. I'm sure you've heard that revival has broken out at Asbury University. And so what happened? Well, apparently on February 8th, on a Wednesday, a chapel service was being held and there was a call to confession. And apparently a hundred people fell to their knees and started to confess. From all reports, the Holy Spirit really fell. This service continued to grow. It continued to go on. And here we are days and days and days later and things are still going. This has become a disruptive force. Everyone has gone online and Articles have come out and people have started to report that a revival has broken out. I don't know where you land on this. Maybe you're stoked. You think, yes, it's a revival. Maybe you're skeptical and you're like, I don't really know what this is. I just want to offer a few thoughts. The first thing is for us to just pause, right? We live in an age where we're so quick to praise and we're so quick to condemn. Very rarely does anything good happen when you do either quickly. So I think the first thing we need to do is just pause and wait. You know, I think the term revival is part of the problem. I think it's really a phrase that's probably better to something many, many years after the fact when the fruit of something can be judged. I think that may be part of the challenge. People are getting hung up on the word revival and I'd probably be a little bit more cautious to use that. Maybe like the words genius or generational or one of a kind. You know, let's let history bear out before we slap on a label like that. But beyond that, I think we need to be praying. Pray that God does move. You know, we stand up in our churches and, and we say all the time, oh, we need a revival. We need God to move. And then the second something like this starts to happen, why is it that our instincts are to criticize. Yeah, we need discernment and we can't just call this good without really looking at it and making sure it's biblical and all that. But I want to be the kind of person that's hopeful and positive. Of course, we should be discerning. But my prayer is that God really does move because we need it. And then finally, I think we need to examine our own lives. I think the thing that really challenged me is how this thing became so disruptive. You know, I went way past the scheduled time. And in fact, it may be still going at the time when we released this video. And I asked myself the question, would I have the space for something like this? Because it took some risk, right? Not only did the students have to continue to show up and, and to extend this way beyond what they expected, but the leadership and the faculty had to do that as well. You know, and we live in an overly programmed world, even in the Christian world, right? We got two minutes for prayer and 10 minutes for worship and everything's programmed and everything's slotted in and we're so busy you know we get our little hour and a half of Christianity in on Sundays and I really felt this sense from from God like would I allow for something like this to disrupt my schedule would I allow a move of God to override my busyness and clean out my schedule would I have space for that and the honest answer to that is I'm not sure we make an idol of our schedules we make an idol of the things we do even the Christian things we do can sometimes get in the way of God actually moving and that's one of my biggest fears. In a life where I get to do so much in the name of Christianity, would I do so much that I, I fail to even be with God in the process? So maybe beyond waiting and beyond praying, ask yourself the question, if God wanted to move, would I even have the space for him to do so? 
And finally, across the pond in Germany, a choreographer smears dog feces on a critic after a negative review of his ballet performance. I don't really have anything to say about that, other than that's really weird. He should probably learn to take criticism a little better and uh, let that be a lesson for all of those aspiring critics out there. That's it. All right, well, thank you for checking out Provoke and Inspire Instant Reaction. I hope you found it helpful. If you agree or disagree with any of my takes on He Gets Us, on the Asbury Revival, heck, even on how to respond to a critic, I wanna hear from you. Go ahead and leave a comment on social media, on this YouTube video, or wherever you happen to be consuming this content. Again, you can check out the link in description or the link in bio for more content from Provoke and Inspire. Otherwise, I'll be back next week. Peace.